This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Walk into any major grocery store in the United States, and you are presented with wall-to-wall choices and options. Figuring out what is the best option or what are the healthiest options for a performance athlete is a daunting task. There's so much literature out there. There's so many advice pieces and magazine articles that try to tell you what the right thing is or the wrong thing is when it comes down to fueling an athlete's body that sometimes it's easiest just to throw up your hands and say, I have no idea, right before you retreat to that Oreo McFlurry or that hamburger. This is the world of the nutritionist and the registered dietitian. That's why it's so fundamentally important to have one of them as part of your team when it comes down to training and educating you about what it takes to make your body the best that it possibly can be. In today's episode, we talk with Kristen Arnold, registered dietitian and coach for Source Endurance, about what it takes to fuel the athlete's body the right way. And it comes down really to making choices, making informed choices, choices that are guided by nutrition science principles and solid, sound advice from educated people. Kristen helps walk through a lot of the mythology and a lot of the bad science and helps guide you as an athlete to making the positive choices that will impact you not just that day and and the next day, but for the foreseeable future. Kristen Arnold. I am a cycling coach with Source Endurance, and I also am a registered dietitian with a private practice and also work with athletes through Source Endurance. How long have you been doing your work or your job as a registered dietitian? I graduated with my license to practice in 2014, so I've been practicing for around five years, and then I've been a practicing sports dietitian for around a year and a half now. You went to the Ohio State University, right? I did, yes. I went to Ohio State for a whopping eight years, (laughs) Uh, five years of undergrad, one year of an internship residency, and two years of graduate school. And so you have your master's of science? Correct. I have a master's of science in human nutrition. And in 2013, 2014, you became a registered licensed dietitian. Yep. What does it take to become one of those? To become a registered dietitian, it requires a four-year didactic degree. So the coursework is standardized across the entire country, no matter where you get the degree. And then you need to apply and be accepted into an internship. Um, commitment of working in different rotations, getting experience in all the fields of nutrition where you would be practicing, and then you pass the registration exam. And you actually have a sub-certification. Yeah, so I uh, acquired my Certified Specialist in Sports Dietetics credential in February of 2017, So that credential is the most prestigious sports nutrition credential you can get in the United States. It requires 1,500 hours of practice in sports nutrition and also a passing score on the exam. And how many other people 
in the country have this certification? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm not sure. But if I remember correctly, around 12 to 15 people get the credential every year. So not very many. You've also published. Yes. What have you published on? I have published in two peer-reviewed journals, so the Journal of Nutrition and Dietetics, the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and then there was an article actually published two weeks ago in a journal called Nutrients. You're a regular webinar presenter, or at least for me, you're a regular webinar presenter because I've tried to watch all the webinars that you've got. What are the type of topics that you've presented on? Source Endurance has provided a lot of great opportunities to get information out there. It's a great platform for me to show my expertise and share some knowledge. And so with Source Endurance, I've presented on weight management for cyclists, and that was particularly uh, provided in the off-season, which is a great time to focus on weight management. And also presented on a topic that I called marginal gains and looked at seven or eight different ways that endurance athletes can enhance their performance through little areas of different ways they can fix in their lives. And if people want to talk to you, reach out to you, find out more about who you are and what you do, where should they go? Source-e.net is the Source Endurance website, and you can find uh, the services that we offer for coaching and then also nutrition. And my private practice nutrition counseling website is arnoldrdn.com. Chapter one, talking about the nutrition basics. And we're going to talk mainly from the endurance athlete perspective. Although one of the questions that I do want to ask you is about the things that we need to be cautious about as endurance athletes or focus on compared to the general population, because a lot of us are married to or dating or know people who aren't endurance athletes. The first thing I'd like to talk about is this basic concept. Does it actually exist? Is there such a thing as a healthy diet? There is certainly a thing as a healthy diet. I like to define healthy diet in two ways. So one is variety. So in order to have a, an eating pattern that promotes health and wellness and performance, there needs to be a variety of foods. The variety provides opportunities to have all different kinds of nutrients in the amounts that are necessary for life and function. And then the second piece is nutrient density. And so you are filling your diet with foods that per calorie of food are high in vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, essential amino acids, phytochemicals, different little things that help to help your body function. I just want you to know you're the first person who's been on No Training Wheels twice. Great. Very exciting. Yeah. You're like the John Goodman of No Training Wheels. He's been on <laughs> SNL like 3,000 times now. But um, one of the things that you said during the course of our last talk was eat your fruits and vegetables. And I think that most of us don't realize the importance of variety in the food that we eat because we become so comfortable with the oatmeal for breakfast, the rice for lunch after rides, whatever it happens to be, and we get into patterns. How do you spice things up 
throughout the course of a year with food so you don't become bored with what you're eating? There are a couple ways to do that. So for busy families, food prep and planning is key to having a high quality of life because <laughs> otherwise you spend a lot of time in the kitchen and it ends up adding a lot of time. And so families will have the same dinner every night for a week or they'll have the same lunch every day of the week. And so it's okay to have the same thing to eat every week, but just changing it up week to week. So that's one way to do it, just incremental variety. And the other way is to incorporate variety throughout the day or throughout the week. So it just depends on what works for you. But personally, I like to buy different things when I go to the grocery store. I'm fortunate in that I have time to cook during the day. I can go to the grocery store and buy things that I don't have on a list. But generally, just going to the vegetable and fruit section, the produce section, and getting fruits and vegetables that you don't, you haven't tried before or that you've seen in a recipe but you didn't know what it was for and trying to look it up and um, experimenting that way. Week to week, month to month, periodically throughout the course of the year, does the concept of the healthy diet stay the same? For athletes, there is an element of getting enough calories, right? So for endurance athletes, we are stressing our bodies. We're creating a stimulus in order to enhance performance. And so that stimulus requires calories and also a higher amount of protein and carbohydrates. And that's where the difference is between the general population and an endurance athlete. Um, so in that way, depending on your training and your racing load, you will be eating different amounts of food, essentially. Is this right now, we're, we're at Intelligentsia Cup, so you know we're in the middle of a race week, or 10 days of racing, or however many days of racing you're choosing to do, is this the best time for me to crash diet? <laughs> Probably not. Crash dieting isn't really ever recommended. To define a crash diet in the field of nutrition would be something that's extreme. So something where you're cutting out entire food groups, you're cutting out entire nutrients to um, lose weight or whatever the goal is there. But in general, um, variety is always of the essence. One of the things you talked about was planning, food planning, meal planning. I'm starting to get the sense that planning healthy nutrition is not a one-week or two-week-long process. This is, this is a, a lifetime commitment. For sure. So nutrition, I would say in my private practice and working with Source Endurance clients, building good habits is about 75% of the work. 25% is education and actually refining someone's diet and what they're eating and looking at the nutrients, looking at the foods, how can they enhance performance. But about 75% of that is just trying to get the client to do what you're telling them to do. So if I want to, say, focus on Intelligentsia Cup 2020, is now a good time to start thinking about one year out? Is that enough time or is that too little time to start thinking about making myself a better diet? Or, or am I just applying a thought process that doesn't even make sense 
when you talk about diet and nutrition, it's not about events, it's about life. Yeah, there are general concepts in nutrition and sports nutrition that will be applied whenever they're relevant. So yes, you will be building habits now that will be relevant towards Intelligentsia Cup, but specifically planning for Intelligentsia Cup is something that can probably be done closer to that time. But preparing and having the good habits going into it will be really helpful. Since we all live or deal with people who aren't as obsessed with bike racing as we are, we have to deal with some certain realities. And uh, being a healthy person, going towards the holidays or eating out or going on vacation, is this a point in time where you advise your clients just, hey, sit back, relax, it's just the holidays or, you know, focus on this or focus on that when you go out to eat. How do you advise people when it comes down to being normal? (laughs) Yes, we are all normal (laughs) for the most part. Most of us, I think the people that are listening to this podcast don't have private chefs cooking for them or they don't have access to a cafeteria where they have limited options. So we have to fend for ourselves and figure it out. Can you repeat the question again? Sure. The question is, for example, I'm going out to eat dinner on a Tuesday night with my wife and friends, and I want to be healthy, but I'm still going out to eat. And I know that I don't have the control over how this food is specifically cooked or prepped like I would at my own house. Or it's the holidays and there's fudge and brownies and cookies and things like that that I want to eat tons of, but... I don't want to eat tons of them because I actually care about my performance. How do you, as a nutrition consultant and expert, help people manage those types of situations? There is an incredibly valuable body of research in behavior science that focuses on goal setting. So that was one of the main things that I took away from graduate school. Um, And a big area of research for me in my graduate studies was behavior change science. And goal setting is arguably the most effective way to create change in yourself or in somebody else. So with something like holidays or going out to eat or presented to situations where you don't necessarily have the control, it's about having intentions going into that. In nutrition, and health sciences, the concept of mindfulness is a relatively new concept, but it's really taken off. And so for clients that I work with, um, we talk about strategies going into those settings of how you're going to deal with it. Like what kinds of things are you going to allow yourself to have? What kind of things are, are not really worth it to you? Generally being prepared and going into these types of settings with a plan. So even if the plan goes awry, you at least had intentions going in. Did you realize when you started in on the study of nutrition that you were going to also have to study psychology? (laughs) Fortunately, my program at The Ohio State University did really prepare us for that, But it's clear that not all nutrition programs do that. So there was a big emphasis on behavior change strategies. So I really feel fortunate in that. And also the internship that I did 
every internship has a focus area, and the one that I did was on counseling. So in that way, I have a little more specialization than maybe other dietitians do in that area. So we've arrived at Chapter 2, Training and Nutrition. Eating nutrition, for those of us who, who care about it, and for those of us who become focused about it, can become an obsession. When you work with clients, how do you work through with them the sense of not becoming obsessed with calories or food or nutrient qualities while still maintaining a, a, a healthy diet? With the clients that I have, a lot of it is providing perspective. So one pattern I see in quite a few of my clients is the concept of self-sabotage. So they'll go out to coffee with a friend and they decide to have a donut because their friend bought it for them. That will throw off their whole day. They think that their whole day is ruined because they had their one donut and that creates a snowball effect. For people that relate to this um, and other clients that I have, a lot of it is about providing perspective of all these other foods that you're eating and all the nutrients that they are providing your body and nourishing you. Those are still going to be there and those are still going to be valuable to your health and your performance. The little things, yes, they can add up, but it's all about balance. I mean, that's kind of cheesy but <laughs> a lot of it is about balance and and understanding the proportion of foods that will nourish you and foods that will contribute to other things i love this one quote from your website and i'm gonna butcher it but i'll paraphrase it how about we say i'm paraphrasing most of the meals that you prepare have five ingredients and they take 10 minutes a lot of us get the impression that if you're going to live a healthy diet or live a healthy life that you also have to go on to Lake Cordon Bleu and have this degree in, in culinary arts. How do you approach eating healthy and preparing food for yourself as opposed to being a Michelin star rated chef? Generally, I'm incredibly lazy in my opinion, <laughs> when it comes to food. As long as I'm getting the three basic food groups, I don't have a regard as much for the finer things in life with food. So as long as it has a vegetable, a grain or a starchy vegetable, and a lean protein source, I'm covered. And something that I work with my clients on is you're in a host house setting. You're, you're, your friends are having you over for dinner and they are serving lasagna, for example. Um, One of my absolute favorite go-to dishes at any Italian <laughs> restaurant and you're about to ruin it. I know that. <laughs> yes. So actually a restaurant is also a great example. So let's say you really want that pasta dish and it's just a meat sauce with the pasta. There's not any vegetables in that meal and there's nothing wrong with you know taking a handful of greens out of the out of the fridge and just making sure you get those vegetables in it doesn't have to be a perfectly designed meal that's beautiful and looks good on instagram it can be piecemealed as long as all the variety is there blow up some misconceptions or some bad logic that we've all heard about 
what are those major misconceptions that you would would love to hear never said again in the field of nutrition for endurance athletes? I get a lot of questions about the keto diet constantly. Some nutrition scientists, it's it's a debatable topic, but the takeaway is that there is not a body of evidence showing that it will enhance performance. So it has been incredibly helpful in therapeutic settings for patients with epilepsy. But for endurance sports, it's not really there. My big gripe with it is that you're cutting out an entire food group. So any kind of diet where you're cutting out an entire food group is effectively you're taking out a huge chunk of what is going to nourish your body. So just never do it. I mean, healthy is a relative and subjective term, right? So that's something that in my practice, I really stress to my clients is that there are not healthy and unhealthy foods. There's time and a place for everything. There's a concept in the field of nutrition called all foods fit. And effectively, yes, there is a time and a place for a donut. There's a time and a place for a cheeseburger. So in that way, anytime that you call something healthy or unhealthy, it can create these binaries in your mind that over time can become confusing and also can be prohibitive of you having foods that will nourish your body. So a little bit of free training advice now for the listeners of No Training Wheels. And after they get this free training advice, they should immediately go to your website and sign up as, a, as one of your new clients. In the middle of competition season, so in the middle of crit season in the summer or cross season, whatever your competition is, what are the things that you most need to focus on from a nutrition perspective? In the middle of the season, especially in disciplines that are in the summer, hydration is, in my experience, one of the biggest limiters for athletes. So keeping on top of hydration as far as fluids in general. So when I work with my clients, we talk about fluids. We don't talk about water. So if I give you a recommendation of four liters of fluid, that'll include basically anything except alcohol unfortunately. So (laughs) that does not count. Um, So I would definitely say fluid and making sure that you're hydrating well. Um, And number two would be to ensure that you are getting enough healthy carbohydrates. So carbohydrates from fruits, starchy vegetables, whole grains, And that those carbohydrates will fuel your workouts and your competition, but also be fueling your body with the micronutrients that it needs. So switch it. Instead of it being the middle of competition season, now it's the middle of the winter or the middle of the training season. What are the things that you need to focus on as an athlete? Depending on what your off-season slash base period looks like. So for some athletes, they're riding more in the winter. For example, me, I'll have 20 to 25 hour weeks in the winter, but then I'm racing crits all summer and it goes down to 10 to 13 hours. So where for a lot of athletes that's switched, there needs to be attention on the amounts of food. So it's all about portions there and making sure that you're eating the portion sizes that will 
allow you to stay at the body composition that you want. So if you're eating, if you're overeating, you're going to gain weight, right? So that's important to acknowledge. Um, And so if weight management is something that you're working on, then making sure that your calories and your macronutrients are aligned and limiting excess there. But if your training is really big in the winter, I mean, that's, then you can have the opposite problem. So it kind of depends on the person. How important is weight to bike racers? Um, And I'll preface this by saying I'm the guy who weighs himself every morning the same time of the day. So my coach, Zach Allison of Source Endurance, knows exactly how much I weigh on Tuesday. But sometimes I'm afraid that knowing exactly how much I weigh on any given day may or may not be relevant to my capacity to perform. It totally depends on, one, what discipline. So in some disciplines, watts per kilogram are more important than others. Hence, hilly races. (laughs) Anything (laughs) with an incline, the watts per kilogram is going to be more important. And in that way, having a low body weight will affect your ability to perform. Other disciplines that don't involve hills, track racing, for example, flat criteriums, flat road races, that's not going to be as polarizing for your performance. But I generally don't actually talk with anybody about weight until they get a body composition test done. Because the body composition, the percentage of fat to lean mass is more important for performance than overall weight. And what type of body composition test do you typically recommend? I recommend DEXA scan, which is becoming the gold standard now. It can also be helpful because a DEXA scan allows you to measure your bone density in four endurance athletes, which can be susceptible to bone diseases. That's helpful as well. And then the second would be a bod pod, which is air displacement. Uh, Generally, those are cheaper and more accessible these days. We talked a little bit about hydration, and I think a lot of people don't realize hydration is part of nutrition. But is there bad hydration other than alcohol? The espresso or the coffee that I drink or the LaCroix that I drink way too much of, and I should be sponsored by it. But is there bad hydration? Yes. So it's all, like I said, it's earlier, it's all about nutrient density. So if you're eating foods that are high in calories, but low in micronutrients, that's going to promote fat storage without the backed up nutrients. So like drinking a lot of soda, for example, is not going to be helpful um, outside of your training or racing window. Also, I think the number one limiter to performance with hydration is never ever over over scoop your bottles okay. <laughs> so, so that's something that i've like blown minds with all nutrition companies hydration companies formulate their products to be used with a certain amount of fluids and it's called osmolarically balanced so if you put for example like a double serving in a bottle Now, all of a sudden, it's throwing off the ability for those electrolytes, that sodium, those carbohydrates to be absorbed into your gut. And so it can just sit there 
and causes horrible gut rot. I remember there was a coach one time, I was at a coaching clinic, and he told a guy to just add salt to his bottle. And that is literally one of the worst things you could do. (laughs) It will pull all of the water into your stomach. Without the potassium, without the osmolaric balance there, it will not allow you to absorb the nutrients. So not only do you feel full and gut right, you're not actually absorbing the nutrients during your workout. It's like a double whammy. So you feel like you're bonking, but you're full at the same time. So the little plastic cup that they give you with Scratch Labs or SIS or whatever your your hydration supplement of choice is actually important. Correct. Veganism and vegetarianism. I know that these are not necessarily fads because that's the wrong word, but these are lifestyle choices for some people, whether they do it for humanitarian reasons or diet reasons, whatever. Do those bring with them additional challenges for an athlete? And I'll, I'll... I have to note that you're sponsored by Butcher Box, which is great, wonderful meat in a box, as Julie Kalitza called it. In nutrition, in the field of dietetics, again, we're stressed that we can work around anything. It's our job to help clients and patients get the nutrients they need within their limited choices. And those can be choices. Sometimes it's therapeutic diets, but it doesn't really... At the end of the day, there's restrictions, right? And so with veganism and vegetarianism, I think the number one challenge is access. So for athletes, especially if you're on a team with other riders that don't have those dietary restrictions, they may want to go out to eat or go to places where you don't have access to the types of foods you need in order to effectively perform on a vegetarian or vegan diet. Yes, it's totally possible to do. It does create challenges as far as making sure that you have access to the right things at the right times. Chapter three, nutrition on the bike, nutrition during the course of performance. As a coach, and I'm not going to be asking you for specific things to eat or drink during the course of a race or during the course of a ride, but I want you to tell us As a coach, do you or can you tell when your athletes are doing it right or wrong on the bike based on their performance? I did just host a webinar on this topic with uh, USA Cycling. It was provided for coaches. We were looking at nutrition assessment. So what does a dietitian do in nutrition assessment and how can that apply to coaches. And one of the topics we discussed was performance. So I can look at a training peaks file and or a WKO4 file and see when potentially there's a nutrition related area for improvement. Common ones that I see are a rider that is doing a four or five hour endurance ride. Clearly their power line is just depleting or it's spiking a lot at the end. They're really, they're able to maintain a great endurance zone the first three hours and then it starts to get choppy. I think there's a big misconception that those athletes are, what that means when people see that is that, oh, they're just not doing enough volume. Like they can't sustain a four hour ride where a lot of the time it's just that they're not fueling well because they forgot or they weren't thinking about it. Especially with those longer hours, nutrition and fueling with enough carbohydrates to replenish glycogen stores 
is essential to being able to do those long hours. Now, does it always have to be bars and gels, or are there better ways to actually fuel? There are so many ways to fuel. And <laughs> uh, so, yes, Butcher Box Cycling, I am the team nutritionist for uh, the squad which has been a really amazing opportunity. And one of the cornerstones of the program is all-natural performance. So this has encouraged and challenged me to think about nutrition from an even more food perspective than I already did. So basically throwing gels and bars out the window and really thinking about what are easy options athletes have to get the nutrients they need to perform from real foods. So the most common ones are going to be foods that are rich in glucose, which are potatoes, sweet potatoes, dates, figs. Those are the most common and easily accessible foods that can be used on rides that won't cause issues and are meeting the nutrient profile necessary to do performance, um, to do endurance sports. Now, what about sardines and tomatoes? <laughs> I, know, I know those are a personal favorite of yours. I love sardines. I do. They, I like them for a bunch of reasons. They are rich in protein and omega-3s. They're also one of the only non-dairy sources of calcium. You're actually eating bones when you eat sardines. So you get 30% of your daily value from a can of sardines of calcium, which is impossible to find except in dairy products. Um, They're also a low, they're low in the food chain. So they're a sustainable source of protein and they're really inexpensive. I mean, it's like $1.50 a can, $2 a can for up to 20 grams of protein. One of the things that I've often been told is that there's like a magic hour after you ride, after you train, to refuel. And there's a lot of things that are apparently happening in this magic hour because you're refueling, you're stretching, doing your your beginning recovery stuff, and uh, taking a shower, trying to clean yourself up. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen in this this hour. But is nutrition part of that? Nutrition is certainly part of that. There is a lot of debate in sports nutrition about this window. Some studies show 20 minutes, some show 45, some show an hour, some show it depends on if you're male or female, some show depends on what the length or the intensity of the exercise was. So the conclusion that I have taken away from it as a practitioner is just get it in as soon as possible because we don't really know, but it's definitely the most conservative way to think about it. And no matter what's right, this is going to be one of the right options. After you exercise, there is a window in which your glycogen stores are able to more efficiently replenish themselves. And so what that means is if you can store 2000 calories of, of carbohydrates as glycogen in your body, if you eat 500 calories of carbohydrates in the first 30 minutes after your workout, those will more likely get absorbed to be you, to be stored as glycogen than if you ate that 500 calories two hours from then. Then it's going to take much longer for your for those calories to be used as glycogen, and there's also a possibility that they'll be more likely stored as fat. So that's where that concept comes from for carbohydrates. Protein is similar in that 
there, the amino acids in the protein will be able to be absorbed more effectively to be used for muscle growth in that first window. As an athlete and as somebody who wants to be proactive with his coach, are there things that I should or an athlete in my situation should also talk about about nutrition? I think planning is is so important to coaching, helping prepare athletes for events. So that can mean making sure you get your your numbers on time, show up to team meeting, um, getting to the race early enough to do an effective warm up, and then part of that is helping the athlete to make a good plan for race day and the day before as far as what they're going to eat. For an athlete, I think it is helpful for it to come from them and have their own ideas. And if they feel like they need more help to seek out a registered dietitian or resources that are written by registered dietitians. People want to learn more about you. Are there more resources resources that you can point to, webinars, things like that that are online that people can learn more about you? Me personally, uh, my website, arnoldrdn.com, has some resources. If you work with me as a client, I have large list of resources that I provide my clients, but it, that's exclusive to my clients. Um, I have a newsletter that you can sign up for on my website. And so in the newsletter, there are updates on different services and also recipes, and then also articles that I've written for other publications that have to do with sports nutrition. And also on the Source Endurance website, you can find articles and webinars. Well, thank you so much, Kristen Arnold, for being on No Training Wheels. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on another episode of No Training Wheels. If you haven't yet, go to the new website, notrainingwheelspod.com, for extras about the guests whose episodes have already aired, including Scott Kozicki or the pros from the Armed Forces Cycling Classic or even DJ Brew. You'll also find information about shows that are coming up, including the episodes with Justin Williams and Bill Scheichen that are yet to air in this first season of No Training Wheels. Also remember to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere where you get your podcast. Please leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing and what you'd like to see done in Season 2. If you've got names or suggestions of guests, put them in there. We'll find out if we can get a hold of them. Until next time, see you out on MacArthur Boulevard.